Hi, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I hope everyone who celebrates Christmas had a nice Christmas and that you're enjoying the holidays. Um, This podcast is pretty timely for the new year because as we're going into the new year, a lot of people are reflecting on the past and thinking about New Year's resolutions and things that they would like to change in their lives and so on and so forth. So naturally, this episode is going to be dedicated to like self-reflection and like self-accountability and just talking about that sort of thing. So I did a podcast like this, I think last year or the year before too, where it was also like a year recap. So that's kind of my plan for the podcast. But as usual, I don't really plan a script for these things. I just talk about what feels right to say in the moment and go from there. So that'll be the plan for today's podcast as well. But I thought it would be a good discussion, especially as like a follow-up to the whole situation with Carl Cook, um, which you have to check out my Instagram for that or my Facebook page to stay up to date on that because I don't think I have done a podcast about that because uh, Horse Network, the one that put out the initial interview that I took issue with with Carl Cook and like the subsequent videos, they did a response where they um, interviewed an equine ethologist. I think, I think you say her name, Renata Larson. If I'm mispronouncing it, someone please correct me. Um, but it was a really great response and it was kind of surprising to see because seeing a news publication take accountability like that and reflect on how the interview questions that they asked and like the videos of the stressed horse that they used could come across and how it could contribute to the overall problem that is people downplaying horse stress. And they use their platform to interview a professional in the field who is incredibly well educated and super qualified to speak on what they were interviewing about and the problem at hand. And it was just wonderful to see. And I honestly never could have expected that from what I've seen for the track record of most equine news publications. A lot of them will even put out articles defending instances of abuse um, in top top competition riders. Um, So it was really refreshing and kind of surprising to see. And I think it's a good kind of discussion to bring up in this podcast as a whole, because I don't know. I I was really pleasantly surprised, especially for anyone who watched that situation unfold. They would see the kind of vitriol and also Carl's general response with how upset he was with what I said about his horse and how stressed she was in those clips. And he also said things in the interview about being like afraid to ride her and stuff like, like scared for his life. And I expressed concern with that being portrayed as a norm from a professional, like that we need to have higher standards, especially at that level. And it very much upset him. And his response also kind of surprised me based off of who I'd pegged him to be based off of the videos and walking and talking stuff that I've seen of him, which is probably my fault for having a certain expectation or like outlook on someone that I hadn't met, but I, I had him pegged differently and I was surprised by his response. But I was also surprised by Horse Network's response in an incredibly pleasant way. And I can safely say that they're my favorite equine news publication now because I have never seen any journalist or news outlet take accountability like that. And it was like, uh, hopefully like an industry changing event that will be such a crucial part of a necessary growth and development of the horse sport industry and how we handle things going forward. Uh, I think it was really important 
and it came at a really, really good time. And yeah, it was just, it was really good to see, um, especially if things couldn't have gone better on the part of like mine and Carl's interaction with each other. Uh, but I did have a lot of people try to hold me accountable and say that I should have contacted Carl first and that I shouldn't have like posted publicly. And while they're entitled to their opinions as part of this like end of year podcast and just kind of reflecting on what was one of the more, I guess, important moments of the year for me was this whole inter interaction with like the Carl Cook stuff. I don't regret what I did because if I hadn't posted it public, I don't think that it would have caused this discussion to happen or the news networks that reflect on their actions because best case scenario, if I contacted Carl publicly, me and him could have had discussion and perhaps that could have led to him making a public commentary, but I think that's a lot less likely, especially because he's not responded to other times I've commented on his stuff in the past. Um, but I don't think it would have necessarily led to the news outlet responding to itself in the manner that they did and choosing to interview the person that they did. I think that that's something that would require a lot of feedback and discussion of the article itself for them to do that and for it to be worth their while to do so. So I stand by what I did. Uh, I'm sure there's ways I could have worded things better and come across better so as to maybe not upset Carl in the way that I did. But with that said, I still stand by what I said. I don't think he's doing things to be intentionally unkind to his horses. I don't think he's abusing his horses. And I don't think he's like a terrible person or a rider, but I do think he is in need of self-reflection and looking at what he's personally said about his horse and how he has addressed things and kind of reflecting on that, especially with this follow-up article. For those of you who are interested in checking out the article, it's on Horse Network. If you look up, let's talk about the Kalinka video, it should come up. Uh, I'll also put a link in the description of this podcast. And that happened like within the last two weeks. So that's like obviously really recent and like um, at the end of the year, but I thought it would be a good point of reference because I'm sure people are kind of wondering my thoughts on that situation as a follow-up. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really pleasantly surprised and I wouldn't personally change much about how I handled it. And I stand by going public with what I did, uh, because his interview was public and it was something that was meant to speak for his, his views on the horse and go out to fans. So I don't think my responding to it in that context is unfair. Uh, cause it's not like it was just a video of his day to day where he's not commenting on feeling unsafe or where there's not a certain connotation being made about the horse and her behavior. So yeah, and I'm hoping that it'll inspire some necessary changes in the horse world and how we start to do things. Cause I think we can still enjoy competition and our favorite upper level riders, but with higher standards, because if they're at the top of the sport and they're serving as an example to set for everyone else, why are we defending behavior in them that is frequently like criticized when we see it in lower level riders? Like if we went to a pony club meet and someone's pony was rearing up and couldn't handle itself in, a, in the award ceremony and they were going to competitions and having it happen every single time, it would be something that would get commented on with far more criticism than we see with upper level riders. Like it gets defended to such a large extent when if you looked at the same behavior objectively in any other non-professional rider or even like a lower level professional, it's much more heavily criticized. Um, 
for example, I've had people criticize my stuff, like, when, my, when I was bringing Milo back the first time, um, like, in his, like, with his foot issues, it was probably, like, and, like, I started riding him a little bit through the fall before the atmospheric rivers last year, and he bucked me off, because uh, he spooked at something, and then decided to buck, and he was feeling fresh, and I'm sure his feet were still feeling a bit sore, and it was probably not super comfortable, but yeah, he bucked me off, and it wasn't anything super severe, it was like a small one, but he just ducked his shoulder really well, and I came off, and I had people pulling, like, oh, well, this is proof that, like, positive reinforcement doesn't work, your horse isn't perfect, like, this is so terrible, but... I was riding him after several months off in an open field in the fall in a bitless bridle with my dog loose running behind us and I hacked him out like that without lunging him or doing any of the st that stuff and in such mild equipment and even st it's not an ideal circumstance and I'm not defending it but even still the accountability that I was held to in that context when it's a one-off occurrence his behavior has improved exponentially over the years. I'm not using harsher equipment to cover up his equipment. I'm not needing two handlers on the ground to handle him. And he's capable of handling time off in a way that we can pretty fairly say that these upper-level competition horses would not be able to handle safely if they're not safe in the arena. But it's just interesting because I noticed such a different response from the very same people that I will see defending upper level riders while they slag me and other lower level riders um or people who keep their horses out in fields and stuff there's like a very elitist kind of sneer <laughs> that they put on it where it's like oh you go deal with your pasture pets or your your backyard animals yeah go back to your backyard and and go get your muddy horses out of the field and it's like framing it as if having your horse out in a herd year-round is something to be ashamed of um despite the lack of evidence behind that. Like, if your horses aren't knee-deep in and, like, have thrush and are having sores from the mud or whatever and are clearly suffering, there's no shame in having your horse out in the winter. And, yes, there will be less grass because that is how winter works. Um, but, objectively, you're meeting more of their needs having them out in a herd in that setting than you are having them as a competition horse in a stall with a small paddock at most and oftentimes not be able to go out if it's too snowy or too icy and having very limited turnout. Um, objectively, one of those is better than the other and it would be the buddy field. If you were looking and asking like an ethologist to compare the two situations and looking at it without any bias or any emotions involved solely about meeting the horse's specific needs, the muddy field would be sufficient provided they had shelter, they had like friends, freedom, forage, water, and all that jazz. It would check off more of the boxes. So it's been interesting to me to see how people in in certain areas of the industry are so willing to defend famous riders who should be held more accountable because of the fact that of like they're the face of the sport. It's interesting to see people defend that so vehemently while they criticize people who have objectively less impact and who on paper are actually meeting more needs. And I think that really exemplifies a major issue in the horse world is how horse people when made uncomfortable, like when they're forced to examine themselves and how they may be making their horses feel, oftentimes to defend it, they will lay into strongly defending someone 
that represents who they are at the like someone at the upper levels that represents who they are and how they handle their horses and how their horse behaves even if they usually do not care at all about that person and it's because they're defending their likeness and themselves and that's why it becomes such a personal and emotional response and it's really interesting because in those moments you see how people allow that discomfort to let them make them completely irrational because they're asking people to defer to their discomfort and to not speak on these things or to like shut up until they get to that level because they believe that being at that level equates to ethicality but in the process they're denying the factors that actually measure ethicality which is equine behavior and like the science behind what's actually best for them and it's not about what we decide in that case. So I think that the biggest thing for people to like reflect on this year, like, and what I would like the industry to reflect on if we're going to talk about like New Year's resolutions is how often we as equestrians will deliberately put our horses in low to moderate to high levels of discomfort based off of what our goals are and what we want to do versus our willingness to be in a moderate amount of discomfort when we have to examine ourselves and how we're contributing to the horse world and how we impact our horses. If you are consistently disregarding your horse's discomfort or how they voice it or rewriting what you believe their behaviors to be, despite the lack of evidence to prove it, but you won't put yourself in discomfort to look at information that conflicts with your beliefs, then you're holding your horse to a standard that you can't meet yourself. And that's something that's not healthy at all in a partnership where you're with a voiceless animal that cannot advocate for themselves and where you're massively enabled by so much of the industry. The growth of the industry and actually mastering horsemanship and becoming a horse person in all senses, in my opinion, is completely reliant on the person's willingness to self-reflect and do the hard work that is pausing for a moment before reacting and actually fundamentally considering the impact of what we do has. And it's really hard to do. It's easier said than done, which is why I wanted to reflect on my past in this podcast and we'll go there. Um, but it's necessary. And that discomfort that you feel isn't a bad thing. And if we as an industry don't exist in that discomfort, we're going to continue harming animals that we all are in this industry because we love because of our denial and our lack of willingness to be in relative discomfort, even though we make our horses exist in it on a near constant basis in some cases. So that should be a new year's resolution is self-reflection and more accountability. Because for example, even something as simple as watching horses enter a competition arena and then watching them proceed to be spurred or whipped to get around like the barrels the poles or like the jumps or whatever or like reefed on a harsh bit as their mouth is gaping and their eyes bug out if you look at that situation objectively and just look at what is there that is currently going on that is enjoyable for the horse because like being thumped around on kicked and having your mouth hauled on all of those are unpleasant sensations that are not inherently reinforcing. 
And if we look at situations like that honestly and really reflect on them, it should become clear that there's certain things that we do out of our own goals and like timeline and desires that come at the expense of the horse and that also are not necessary. We could do things a different way, but it requires a change in mindset and also being gentle with yourself through that change in mindset because I think a lot of people's resistance to change is rooted in the fact that they don't want to feel like a bad person and they don't want to consider the fact that they've caused harm. So in their desire to avoid admitting that, they lay into what is causing harm instead of addressing the factors that might lead them to be harmful to the animals that they love and ceasing to do that anymore. So they end up causing more harm in their desire to try to avoid the idea that they could be. And I think that's why a lot of horse people are so resistant to change and so resistant to seriously looking at how skewed the horse industry is and how much mis misinformation we have all been subjected to. It's a really terrible thing to consider. And I understand the general resistance towards wanting to come to terms with that and really accept it for what it is because it's a crappy thing to have to own up to. And it can be hard to reckon with like the reality of like how certain training mechanisms and like bits and equipment and stuff actually impact horses because you have to look at it and go, I did that. Like I put my horse through that. And it's a crappy thing to do. But, like, here's the thing. Like, as someone who has done that myself and who justified it for years and who grew up being mentored by people who freely and openly did bad things in front of me, it's been uncomfortable going on that journey of having to reckon with what I've done and, like, what I watched and experienced in the past and how I was gaslit by trainers and stuff and just misled to into doing things or coerced into doing things that I wasn't comfortable with. And throughout that conditioning process, in order to cope with that discomfort and having people make me do things that I, that didn't make me feel good, I started to just blindly defend and get super defensive and also like take out that frustration on the horse in a way, I think. Um, so coming to, to terms with all of that, what I now know differently, it's really hard because first of all, you have to look at how many years you wasted thinking you were doing the right thing when that was not the case, in addition to how you impacted the horses around you and how many of their behaviors were directly related to what you put them through. And obviously it's going to make you feel guilty. Uh, but I think that the worst part of it all would be to put more years into doing things the way that I used to and refusing to change and having to go through this process even later in life than I have or have my entire existence around horses actually be inherently harmful to the horses despite the passion I had for them. So like, I wanted to be honest in this podcast in saying that, like, it's never been a comfortable process and it's also not an instant one. Like, it's about catching yourself when you're in the middle of making a mistake or just before that or holding yourself accountable afterwards and really committing to doing that because you're fighting years of conditioning of doing things a certain way. Like, I didn't just, like, immediately stop one day and go, I'm not gonna smack horses anymore ever again. Like, and just start using a clicker 
cold turkey and just go about that way. It's been a process of changing habits and changing how I would take the easy way out and take my frustration out on the horses and have like an emotional response to their behavior by taking it personally. It's been a commitment to doing that and it's something that you have to first start holding yourself more accountable even if it's after the fact and then hopefully start catching yourself before you get carried away to the sense that you might have before like I truly used to be one of those riders that would be chasing my horse down the long side of the arena like waving the reins at them and like smacking their shoulders with the reins as I shouted at them because that is what the trainers who mentored me growing up did like they taught me to kick them in the stomach if they would didn't want to be girthed or if they were bloating or I couldn't get the girth stone up and that coupled with the fact that I have ADHD and it makes it harder to deal with frustration and strong emotions was a really bad combination so it was like years of being able to do that to horses and take out the problems that I caused with my behavior and like the general management of the horses on the horses and like how I punish them and when you're reacting that emotionally and you have that little of self-control it's something that you have to start practicing and it's something that you just have to keep holding yourself accountable for. And if you beat yourself up and feel guilty or try to like avoid feeling guilty by going into denial, all it does is cause you more harm and the horses more harm. So I wanted to be honest in this podcast and telling you guys that like it's not a process where it's like you randomly just stop doing what you're doing and all of a sudden you're perfect at it. Like you have to untrain yourself. And you have to have a flippin' mindset that allows you to process things without such an emotional bias or, like, without taking things so personally um, in terms of how you experience the horse's behavior. Like, viewing their behavior as, like, a symptom of an underlying issue was something that was really life-changing for me because that made it a lot easier to take that pause. And instead of just looking at the behavior at face value and being upset about its existence... I was able to kind of sit back and more readily go, okay, what could be causing this? And then as soon as you start to address the cause, the behaviors get less loud and it's a lot less scary and you feel a lot less helpless and it makes everything more easy to deal with. But it also makes it easier for you to be gentle with yourself. Because if you start doing that with horses, then it's like, what is motivating this behavioral response in me? Like, why am I behaving the way I am in this situation when you start to lose patience with your horse or get frustrated to ask yourself that or to like just take a break and stop being so hard on yourself and stop having weird timelines that are set in your head because of like what trainers or other riders have pushed on you and just like taking a deep breath it's not the end of the world if like a riding session goes poorly or your horse doesn't always do what you want you have time it's okay Even if you have a show coming up, it's not the end of the world if you miss that show. There's more important things. And that takes a lot of the pressure off, is kind of being more gentle with yourself and asking yourself what is motivating your behaviors. And when I started doing that, I also started to realize, like, how much of my desire to show and do well was rooted in my desire to, like, prove myself to people and show them my worth and show them that I could do things with horses and that I could be valued and it wasn't so much my desire to show really like don't get me wrong I do like showing but it is a lot of stress and I felt a lot of pressure that pushed me to do things or train in a way that wasn't fair to my horses and also wasn't productive and long term because I was so 
rushed to get into the show ring and to do certain things to feel worthy as a rider or show what my horse could do. And it robbed me of a lot of the joy that was having horses and put a lot of pressure on me and made it less fun while in the process making it incredibly less fun for my horses. So when I started to examine like why I was doing things, stuff like that became more clear to me. And I've realized that like showing can be great and there can be a lot of phenomenal riders that you see at shows, but it in no way defines someone as a rider. It in no way says anything about how ethical they are or how capable they actually are in training horses and monitoring behavior because at shows, it's about how you show up in that context, in that setting and what you do to get there. And a lot of people at those shows aren't necessarily starting those horses from scratch and bringing them up all that way. Oftentimes they're intercepting those horses later in life when they've already gotten to a certain level. So that in itself isn't a train. It's not a show of training so much as a show of like the culmination of events leading to getting the person into that arena, including the ability to pay entry fees. Someone can go and get a horse from an auction and turn it into something spectacular without ever showing it, and it still means that they're a worthwhile contender as a trainer and that they're able to modify behavior. And I've now realized that I don't need a show record to be considered a good trainer. I have made a difference in a lot of lives of horses, whether people believe it or not, and other people choosing to value what they feel to be good training or good riding based off of how high someone jumps is not in my value system whatsoever, because in theory, I might have been able to do more of those things if I put my horse's feelings aside and kept doing things how I wanted to. I could have pushed Milo to keep going in having bad feet, and he was actually doing pretty well and like is a good jumper and stuff and I could have just kicked on and gone through it and maybe he would have been able to get up the levels or at least jump like three six or something you know like maybe he would have been able to do that and stay somewhat sound for a little while but it wouldn't really prove anything like if I competed him through his hoof issues and continued to push him in the way that I used to I would be less good of a trainer than I am letting him rest in a field for like a year or two because it's for his best interest. And other people choosing to value me off of like what I can produce in the show ring is their business and it speaks nothing about my value as a person or as a trainer or as a rider because I can look at what I'm doing in terms of making an immediate difference in the horses lives that I work with and that I handle. Um, and in clients' horses' lives, and yeah, in my personal horses' lives, and I see what I'm doing, and I see the fact that my horses are happier and less stressed, and I personally wouldn't want any of my horses to be in the types of homes that would have a value system such as that, because it would set them up for failure, because their riders would be more motivated to show and do well, because they would be basing how happy their horse is off of the success in the competition ring. And they would be seeking reasons to justify that mindset so they don't have to consider behavior that would otherwise inconvenience them. So I've kind of grown and tried to heal myself to the point where I don't need to value those people's opinions. And there's been a couple of times now 
where there's been writers that I idolized or not necessarily idolized, but that I really enjoyed and that I thought were cool. And Carl Cook was one of them. And they just disrespect my existence and basically are like, you suck and you're stupid. And it's like, before that really would have hurt me and would have impacted my self-worth. But now I kind of laugh at it because despite someone like Carl Cook being a billionaire and having fancy horses and a fancy barn and lots of money for expensive treatments, I would not be caught dead setting a horse that I love like Milo into that type of lifestyle. I wouldn't do that to him because it would absolutely destroy him. And I know how terrible he would become. And I know that he would be one of those horses reacting in the end gate and needing two handlers or trying to bite people or just being otherwise difficult to handle. And it wouldn't be because he was spicy or fresh or because he's an upper level sport horse. It would be because he was miserable. So now when people like that view me as a fraud and other people in that type of industry and who have means or reason to defend that behavior despite the lack of evidence showing that it's healthy for the horse I don't take it personally because it just speaks for where they are at in their journey and I see a lot of myself my old self in that behavioral response so like what I've done with horses I try to look at it as separate from me how someone reacts to me does not necessarily have anything to do with my behavior or it doesn't mean that my behavior was wrong. Just because I've triggered something in them and their overall response doesn't necessarily mean that there's something inherently bad with me or what I did. And likewise to them, how I respond to them doesn't necessarily have anything to do with them. And that's taken a lot of pressure off of myself and it's also made it easier to handle like criticism from other people, especially since people online are a lot more bold and nastier than what they would ever be in person to me. Like 99% of the people who clown me online and say mean things or post these things about me wouldn't come up to my face and say it. Or if they did, it would be more tame, toned down than how they respond online. Um, and yeah, like it's, I, I used to be so much more stressed and sensitive to things and I've built more confidence in where I stand and my ability because of my studies in science and like equine behavior and using those checks for accountability. Because for me as a person, something that's really important to me is being able to like actually look at how things work and like understand them and explain things and know why things happen the way that they do and I think that throughout my childhood with, with how I used to ride and how I was taught handling horses that was a huge source of my frustration with horses is when they would behave in like a big and scary way or wouldn't do what I wanted them to do and I couldn't figure out why and I didn't really have any solutions other than punishing them and then my frustration also caused my problems because I would get horses more worked up because I'd be impatient with them and I would be giving them conflicting signals and I wouldn't be being clear and then I'd create problems that I would then respond to whereas now that I've learned more about like behavioral science and how the science of training actually works I can look at 
what is the reason behind this behavior? And then I can start to make like a shaping plan that allows me to start to alter behavior. And then over time, I can actually see the difference that it makes. So I have proof right in front of me in addition to the studies of people more experienced than I to kind of have faith in what I'm doing and understand that it's in the right direction. And naturally, after learning so many things the incorrect way and doing so many things wrong for so many years, I have like an inherent distrust in like the system and I'm really cautious now. And I think that that's what I really like about doing more research and being able to look at studies and have things explained to me in a way that makes sense. And then also test it out myself and see it work in practice is it holds myself more accountable, but it also allows me like evidence that something works, which is I, something I don't feel that a lot of trainers have provided to me in the past. Like, my experience with growing up as a rider is that they'll tell you what to do, but they won't really tell you why or how it works. Or if they do tell you how, how, how it works, it's not an accurate example of how you're doing actually, how what you're doing actually works. And that led to a lot of confusion on my part. And then I also couldn't problem solve on my own time outside of training lessons because I wasn't actually taught means of problem solving and I would kind of have to figure it out on my own or just be frustrated. So I think that a lot of my growth as a trainer has actually occurred outside of lessons with traditional horse trainers. Like it's occurred with a lot of online stuff and watching videos um, of how other trainers train and listening to studies about how horses think and how they learn and learning about the biomechanics about how they function and then starting to cut, put all that information together and let the hamster wheels in my brain turn to problem solve on my own using all of that information, which allows me to develop much better context of horses' behavior. And this is why I'm so passionate about talking about self-accountability and growth and like science, because it's not about having people agree with the exact way that I see things. It's about teaching them how to access information and cr how to know if it's credible or not and using the information they learn to hold up and practice with the resources they have in reality. It's not about looking at what the perfect ideal is on paper. It's about applying what you can within the framework of your life and how you handle horses and how that'll all go together. And the more you learn about like how horses function biomechanically and just like fundamentally as a species and how they learn, the more able you are to tailor your training program and your care practices to their needs within the setting that you currently have access to based on where you live, like where you take lessons, the trainer you use, the horse you have, etc. And that's why I like sharing this information so much. And one of the criticisms that I think I've gotten the most, like when I'm sharing information is that people are like, you hate every training method that's not like yours. And it's like, no, I probably look like I hate a lot of training methods because so much of traditional horsemanship is flawed and not rooted in how horses are meant to think or live, like even with how they're depicted in movies and so on and so forth. But there's a lot of different ways to do things better than what we are seeing on a frequent basis in the industry. And there's ways to raise the bar in horse training and like in terms of what we normalize as normal horse behavior that don't necessarily result in massive change in people's overall training programs. Like you can still keep horses in stalls and smaller paddocks and do it better than what we've done 
on an industry-wide scale. You can still use pressure and release, but use it with a fundamental understanding of how that actually works and thereby soften your methods and get better timing or use it in conjunction with positive reinforcement and have softer methods and make your horse more motivated. And there's so much nuance and science allows for that nuance by showing a lot of different examples of similar things occurring and providing context and oh, that's just been huge for me. <laughs> it's been life changing and there's been a lot that I've learned like within the last year, like even just since getting the Mustangs and being able to like put things into practice and test things that I've read and learned in studies and actually see how they work in the field in real life and be surprised by how well it works or be surprised by like challenges that I might have. And it's been really life changing. And like even the amount of growth I've seen in myself in like the last year or like the last three years, especially that's kind of why I have faith, faith in the ability for the industry to change and for people to do better once they have the information out there. And that's also why I have such a desire to speak out because I wouldn't have been able to grow in the way that I have and learn what I have if I hadn't had that context provided and if there hadn't been so many advocates and people dedicated to sharing information in areas where I would come across it. Because for so long, I wasn't looking for the information. It's only been in like the last like eight years that I've really sought out information that heavily conflicted with what I had been taught growing up. And it's because of having to be exposed to information that planted seeds of doubt that eventually grew into seeds that brought me knowledge, like trees of knowledge, if you will. And without people being outspoken and just sharing information for the sake of sharing information and hoping it'll reach people, I wouldn't have had that growth, I don't think. I wouldn't have had that context and it wouldn't have led me to where I am now. So I would like to be that person, even though inevitably, like when I'm saying things that rock the status quo and conflict with what people have been taught and make them feel uncomfortable, naturally in that discomfort, they're going to probably lash out at me in some capacity. Not everyone is going to be immediately reachable and some people are going to be very mad. And I used to take that anger really, really personally and let it impact my self-worth. But now I'm realizing like that anger has more to do with them and what they have learned than it has to do with me. Because for example, when people are like, you're stupid and positive reinforcement sucks, I don't fundamentally believe that there's anything wrong with what I'm doing with my horses. And I have faith that if what I am doing is proven to be really wrong in the future, that I can handle that and change my practices as needed because I've already had to do that to such an extent. So like overall, I'm very comfortable in what I've been doing with horses and like what I've learned and what I know and the growth that I've experienced that what they say doesn't really impact me, but it does upset me from the standpoint of the misinformation it spreads and seeing that they have that mindset that I used to have. And me speaking out more has to do with the desire to help change the industry and help better people's relationships with their horses and help hopefully prevent us from being cancelled for using horses, then it has to do with like anything to do with my self-worth now. And in the past, I definitely think that I had something to prove and that I kind of overcompensated for that by like being super defensive. And even now it's like something that I definitely still am working on, like dealing with imposter syndrome and stuff. 
but now I have a reliable means of holding myself accountable and making sure that I'm not slipping and doing things that aren't justifiable. And I'm at a point in my journey and like my growth as a writer where it's getting easier not to make mistakes that used to be really hard for me. I used to lose my patience way easier. I used to be way more sensitive to trying to portray myself a certain way online to prove that I knew what I was doing and get to shows and fulfill a timeline. And now I've realized that I can make a difference without appearing or like showing up in the industry in the same way as how other people may. I don't need to go and bust my ass going to shows and spending money that is harder for me to earn to try to go on the A circuit to compete and show as often as other people do. I don't need to do that. I can do other things and that's okay. And I still would like to get competing and doing stuff in the future, but I've realized that like giving my horses the time that they've needed when our time does come for like success and moving forward and stuff, it's going to be all the more sweeter because I've given them that time. Pushing Milo how I did over the years and pushing other horses in the past didn't get me more time spent with them. It didn't get me more success. It didn't get me ahead. It made me miserable. It made them miserable. And it ended up with their soundness being something that I could no longer ignore unless I was willing to cross lines that I didn't want to cross like either mental or behavioral soundness doesn't really matter and taking the time to kind of let my horses have that mental and physical reset that they needed and doing it for their best interest has made it so that when they're feeling their best they'll be able to perform even better than they could for me when they weren't so it's like getting milo and harlow time off I think it'll be good because if I do show this year, they're going to be at their best. They're going to be feeling better than they ever have. And they'll be more able to show up for me in the way that I would like for them to in that context. And I think it's worth the wait, like, because I wasted so many years, like, going back and forth and, like, how I trained and not having things stick and not having horses behave as well as they could have. And it was a whole lot of going forward two steps and backwards three or having the horse have issues. Like if I had continued things how I had with Milo without changing his hoof problems, he would have inevitably ended up having some type of career ending injury or would have had like his joints be very messed up or would have just been completely soured because he would have been uncomfortable. So it would have come at an expense. And now I'm dealing with the mistakes I made at the expense of having to give more time off or having to, like, in Harlow's case, give her time off to deal with what I think is the result of long-term of living a certain way under certain amounts of stress and having it take a toll on her body that she needed a reset to deal with. Um, so that's the expense that I'm paying now, but I think it'll be a worthwhile one. And in taking that step back and kind of learning a different way of measuring my self-worth, I've been more able to kind of see the value in being patient and less looking for instant gratification to like prove myself to people or show up a certain way to be viewed a certain way. And it's also made it easier to handle my horses in that way because there's been less pressure and frustration involved. But... Yeah, I know this is really all over the place and I'm sure like people with ADHD are probably like, yeah, this is like probably in line with like how I think, hopefully, unless I'm like crazy. Uh, but everyone who's like normal is probably like, she's talked about like a million different things and all at once. But 
this is just how I wanted to do this. I'm like, it, it's that weird time between the holidays and I just don't have it in me to write a script and do stuff like that because I just have so many other things on the go. Um, so this is just really natural, authentic thought process on my part. Um, but yeah, like self-accountability, as hard as it is in the beginning, it makes you feel so much better long-term. It really does. Like being mindful of where your behavior comes from and trying to get better at managing it in a healthier way is a huge strength. And I can't even speak for the difference it'll make in your life if you start to do that and try to check yourself and make sure that you, like your identity as an equestrian isn't based off of other people's expectations of you or trying to fulfill a certain role and that it's based off of how you actually want to do things and how you actually feel. Because I do think a lot of people that are in stressful training situations or are used to seeing really stressed horses and kind of putting up with certain levels of behavioral, like conflict behaviors, um, I think they're in like a state of learned helplessness themselves and they have a desire to stay within that cognitive dissonance because having to see all of the dysfunction around them, after, especially after being like misled and probably gaslit by trainers um, for years and like they're learning as an equestrian, it's something that's very, very hard to do, especially if you're not within a supportive environment to do it. And there's a lot of judgment that comes with kind of swaying from tradition. So it's very, very hard to do. And it takes a lot of self-compassion and like finding how you truly feel about yourself so that you're not reliant on how these other people think or feel of you. Like let them think what they want, screw them. You know, you kind of have to adopt that mindset because you will get made fun of. Um, and until you really do it and see that it works for yourself and then start to see people who might've initially made fun of you start to show interest in what you're doing, you don't really know what the outcome's going to be. So the first jump is like the hardest part, but the more you start committing to it and catching yourself when you're slipping, the more of the payoff that you'll notice. And I can speak for that to anyone who might be at that stage where they're not really sure what to do or where they feel like judged by the barn that they're at or where their views conflict with their trainers or people at the barn kind of lay into that discomfort and realize that you can disagree and you can also still see the pros and cons of people around you because there's a lot of people who are super well-intentioned horse people but they're just not there yet like they're just not at the point of having like the epiphany to reconsider things in the same way you might be willing to be doesn't mean that they won't get there doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that they do but you can recognize that they are well-intentioned and they're not doing things out of malice they're the result of the industry and I think we need to have that compassion for ourselves, but also for others. You don't have to agree with them because disagreeing with someone doesn't mean that you're making a statement on who they are entirely as a person. There is more nuance than that. Any issue that I have with like training and horses and whatnot, even if I think it's cruel to the horse and in some cases abusive, I'm not saying that the person doing it is completely completely irredeemable or that they're an awful, awful person who's just being malicious and cruel to their horse. No, there's a lot of attitudes and factors in place that lead people to being that way without them even realizing what's happening. And it's a very hard mindset to get out of because of how enabled it currently is and how little education there is that is accurate in the horse world and how little standards there are and means of holding people accountable as trainers or upper level riders and so on. It's not an easy thing to do. So 
there's too much nuance to it. I don't have to agree with everything someone does, some, some, something, everything that someone does. And I can think that they are using equipment that's inherently unkind to their horse, but it doesn't mean I think I, that they are doing it deliberately. How long you commit to defending something and being ignorant about it without actually looking for outside information. Um, for example, if you just defend what you're using on your horse and don't consider looking into the fact that something that someone said might be correct and checking into it, then you're probably not looking to learn. And that's a big red flag that shows you might just be protecting yourself and going into denial for it. We should always be open to being wrong and considering the fact that we're wrong or that we might have been misled about how equipment works and that our trainer might have been wrong. Um, and again, this goes back to the science because if you know how the equipment you're using works and how it acts on the horse or how the training methods you use work, you can quantify them and like justify them and you have means of explaining what you're doing. And if you come across a study that says certain things, you can kind of look at it and consider whether or not it applies to you. But people who don't have that tend to get really defensive and will defend things blindly because they don't have any other means of defending it other than attacking the opinion that threatens their stance. Um, so that's a good tell of like when you might just be blindly denying. Can you justify what you're doing? And if you were to look at conflicting information, would you have the means of determining whether or not it's credible? And if you did, how can you ensure that you're not being inherently biased? All these things to consider because we actually have to work harder to hold ourselves accountable in this industry because no one else is going to do it. Your trainer isn't going to do it. Probably your judges probably won't do it. Professionals in the industry aren't going to do it. Organizations like FEI aren't going to do it, at least not to the extent that they need to. No one else is going to do it. Only you can hold yourself accountable and try to ensure the best for your horse because there are currently basically zero factors in place to ensure that you are doing things like by the book in terms of how the horse experiences it. So much that is not good for horses is normalized as being perfectly fine and not questioned and you're not taught about the impact it has. So you learn never to question these things. The only way to really fight against that is by taking matters into your own hands and finding other means of holding yourself accountable and not just being reliant on the opinion of your trainer. Because first of all, in a trainer that is a trainer that's secure and confident in themselves should also be comfortable with you seeking outside information, asking questions and asking for clarification because they should be able to talk the talk and walk the walk and explain what they're doing if they're capable of teaching it. If they can't do that, red flag. Uh, so there's no harm in seeking information from other sources and self accountability is something that I'm really embracing this year and going into 2023 and just learning more and really looking at what I would like to see changed in the horse industry and how I'm valuing myself and like the direction I want to go in as a horse person and what my ultimate goals are because largely my goals to get even better and really hold myself to the level of accountability that I'd like to in terms of care and provide the care for my horses that I would like to and make the difference that I would like to, I need to get a farm and I need to set it up in the way that I think is ethical and use the structures in place to hold myself to that level of accountability to make it the best case scenario for the horses. And 
that's kind of what I'm gunning for in my business. And like, if we're talking new year's resolutions for goals is to kind of take things in that direction. That'll send me to where I need to go to make that a possibility because my family has no money and I have to do it myself and houses are farms are expensive. Um, but I want to continue improving my horsemanship and I don't want to regress. Like my horses have moved into a much better situation than they were within the last year. And that's great. I don't want to regress from that. I want to continue improving and building on what I've already done. I don't want to stagnate and Phoebe stop chewing your bone. And I don't want to lose out on doing that. Uh, so that's a huge portion of my goal going forward. And I'm hoping to inspire the industry to do the same. And I'm also hoping to open that dialogue that'll hopefully reduce the shame that riders feel after having done the wrong thing and allow them to have more self-compassion and realize that there's more nuance to things than just being a horrible, abusive rider and a good rider. Like, you can be a nice horse person who loves your horse and still does wrong by them because you didn't know better or you've been misled or so on and so forth. That doesn't mean you're doing it intentionally to be cruel. And that's like a huge defining factor that we need to normalize in the horse world. That good intentions don't always guarantee good care. And this is why we need other factors to hold ourselves and our trainers and like upper level professionals and other people in the industry more accountable because there's not enough of that. But doing the wrong thing does not mean you are an inherently bad person, just like it doesn't mean a horse is just a mean and bad horse if they display aggression. There's a reason behind that behavior, and sometimes it's because you're reacting to the environment that you've been put in, and that you have no other idea of how to do it. So hopefully opening that conversation will help people hold more compassion for themselves, but also change the industry and set it in a direction that allows people to realize that you can like an upper level rider and not agree with everything that they do. And that people who do well or train lots of horses or produce certain results aren't necessarily achieving those results in the most ethical means, even if their intentions are good. And it's okay. Like the only way we can do better and grow from that is by taking it for what it is and realizing that there are different ways to do things and realizing when something's not quite right and realizing that part of having good intentions is wanting to hold yourself accountable and ensure that you're looking out for your horse in the way that you need to because no one wants to hurt their horse but sometimes we are taught to hurt our horses by trainers and by the industry and when it goes on for so long we often just learn to internalize it and not see it for what it is. And that is something that requires a pretty massive wake up call to change. Um, but anyways, my dog is pushing around her bone and probably wants to be fed in a second. She's looking at me. Um, so I'm going to call this a uh, really chill new year's discussion. Just it's self accountability discussion and just talking about developing a means of self worth. That's not rooted in other people's opinions of you. Um, Especially because people's opinions of you and, like, your riding and stuff are going to have some type of inherent bias. And even if they're, like, well-intentioned online, people tend to be way more blunt and not nice. So make sure you're valuing yourself off of, like, how you actually feel about things. That you're not just rooting everything you do with your horse and how you show up as an equestrian off of, like, what other people think you should do or what you've, like, heard. Because, again, 
Your trainer is not infallible. Everyone makes mistakes, and sometimes they will pass those mistakes along after being taught them when they are younger and less experienced. Always be hungry for outside information because of that. Because it'll at least solidify that they know what they're talking about, or it'll provide you a different context that might be useful in the future, whether you use it right away or not. So that's that. Um, happy New Year, everyone. I might do another one of these that's more structured, but I don't really know because I've been feeling busy and also my birthday's coming up and stuff. So it's going to be a busy few weeks because um, of New Year's. My birthday's exactly one week after New Year's Day. And then Jesse, my boyfriend's birthday, is four days after mine and I have a bunch of things due and I also have a business to run and horses to take care of and horses to train. So it's been hectic. Um, so we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of big things in the works that I'm excited to announce. Um, my book has actually been doing pretty well, which is exciting. And it's still just surreal to have published a book. For those of you who haven't checked it out yet, I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. But you can also check it out at milestoneequestrian.ca and go to the new book page or go to milestoneequestrian.ca slash my hyphen book. Um, and yeah, you can check that out. It's available as an ebook, or you can get it from a bunch of different distributors as a paperback. And it just talks about in detail, like my growing up and like what I was taught and like my overall journey as an equestrian and self accountability, but it's still kind of outdated because I got the Mustangs after I wrote it. And, um, lots has even changed within the last few months. Um, but yeah, um, but it, it, it is a culmination of like the most important and biggest shifts in my horse journey. Um, and there will be a sequel in the future as I continue to have these epiphanies and hopefully see good positive change in the horse world. Um, but yeah, you should check that out. Uh, I'm super excited to have accomplished that and it's something that I'm proud of. So I hope that people are enjoying it and I encourage you all to go check that out. Also, if you're interested in any of my training tutorials and the like, a really great way to support me is on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. S -D -E -Q -U -U -S. There's a bunch of different Patreons already on there, like 20, like, sorry, a bunch of different tutorials already on there, like 20 plus. Um, and we do live Q and A's and other stuff. And there's going to be like talk through behavioral videos and stuff coming up. I have some big things in the works. Like I said, super busy. This is just kind of the lax time of year where I'm trying to take like a little bit of a breather because I've been going full throttle all year. Um, but yeah, you can check that out there. And then I also have my store. There's a big sale going on in shop that ends tomorrow, December 28th. If you check that out at shop milestone EQ, shop milestone EQ.com. Uh, and yeah, please check that out and check out my products. All that helps support me and my continued efforts in doing the things that I'm doing. So I have some big things in the works, but trying to change the industry and like offer horse products that are kind and like especially new ones that have not been made yet and also trying to like get a property to do the type of behavioral interventions for horses that I would like to. Those things all cost a lot of money. Um, so that's why I plug my stuff so much because making a living in the horse world is hard, but trying to do what I'm doing as a young person and do it in a, an economy that is outpacing me has been 
harder. And I want to do it on, like, a quick enough timeline to hopefully make a difference in the industry before it's too late. Like, before we get cancelled or the industry goes under or before, like, climate change in the world ends. So I feel like I need to, like, go full tilt all the time. Um, but yeah, those are the best ways to support me or even just by watching my YouTube videos, sharing them, sharing my stuff with your friends um, and all that jazz. And yeah, stay tuned because there's some big things in the works and... I hope that this mishmash of a podcast was interesting to listen to, even though it was all over the place and very ADHD. Um, so thank you for listening and don't forget to check out my other pages and have a happy new year, guys, um, all of you. And I hope that everyone is doing well and that your new year 2023 brings some blessings that if you've had a tough year, that it's a much, much easier year. Um, but just know that you're not alone out there and hang in there and we're all cheering for you. Um, have a great night, everyone, and Happy New Year.